Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Bridge to Excellence study of the book of Hebrews. And this is lesson 16 for us today as we're drawing toward the close of this book, possibly another two, three, four lessons or so to finish it out. Lord willing, I thank you for joining me and for tuning in, and I pray that these are being a blessing to you. Today in Lesson 16, I'd like for us to cover Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 39, through Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, I'd like to read, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In this section, we're going to look at several things today, and we're going to review the last lesson just briefly. In Hebrews, the whole book is all about Jesus being the better, the more excellent, the more superior. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we covered that in the last episode. We talked about Hebrews 11 being the hall of the heroes of the faith. It is the hall of the heroes of the faith of Jesus Christ. It's where various Heroes, we might call them, are listed. Examples of faith. They became an example for us of true faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it defines what true faith is. In verse 1 and in verse 6, and we also find out that without this faith, it is impossible to please God because we must believe. We must believe that he is, that he exists, he is the living God, and that he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we saw multiple examples of faith, of faith heroes, we might call them, and descriptions of their test trials, etc., that proved their faith and helped them get through that, kept them. Yet all of these died not having received the full promise that they kept believing in, even up to their very death. They still believed, but they had not actually seen it come to pass before their eyes in this life. And the reason that they died not having received it all, Hebrews tells us here, is because we also were to be included. Praise God, he had something more for us, and we were not to be left out. We are joined to them 
in faith. And this whole section now, from their examples onward to the fact that it includes us now, ushers us into Hebrews chapter 12. And so the very first thing that Hebrews 12 tells us connects us with chapter 11. Because he says we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses are the heroes listed in Hebrews chapter 11, along with all the unnamed ones and the ones that continue today. For instance, a recent one that would be, I believe, added into that list would be Billy Graham, for instance who has died at this time since 2018, but is very much a hero and an example of true faith in Jesus Christ. And so this great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 tells us, surrounds us. They are encircling us. They are lying all around and all around us. They are lying all around us. In other words, Everywhere we look in any circumstance, we can find a witness. We can find one of their examples of faith. They've been there too. They've been through the various troubles and trials that many of us are going through. Maybe not the exact same because there's technology and things today that maybe they didn't have then, of course. But they've been there. They've been through the same temptations and they've made it through, and so can we. This word for surrounding us is also used in Acts chapter 28, verse 20, when it speaks of Paul being bound with a chain. In other words, they're bound with us. They're bound around us. It's almost like a wall. Jesus himself says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living these heroes of the faith, they may have died in their physical bodies, and their physical bodies have now turned to dust and bone, but they are very much alive in the presence of the Lord. Jesus spoke of that, saying that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. They form for us what I like to call a cheerleading squad, not in the sense that they can talk to us today and cheer us on. That's evil. Don't, don't ever even get into any of that kind of, of stuff. But they can and do by their examples, by their words, their testimonies, their actions that are recorded for us in the scriptures. They are like a cheerleading squad for us because they form an encouragement to us. They form a pattern. They form an example that, hey, this is what we went through and we made it. You can too. So by and through their examples and what is recorded from their life and from their testimony in the scriptures, they form a cheerleading squad for us. They form an encouragement for us along our journeys. And then he says, since this is true, or in other words, because of this, because of this fact that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, then he tells us what the call and the application for us is, and that is to follow their example and do like they did. 
Specifically, he tells us here, lay aside, cast off and away from you, cast away, lay aside, remove and put it way out of your way, way away from you. It's really talking about almost garments here. Take off those old garments, get rid of them, remove them, cast off anything. It says every weight, every single one, every weight that is anything that is a hindrance or a distraction to you. A weight in those days would be something that they would have on their person, perhaps in a pouch in their tunic or whatever, and it would slow them down or trip them up from being able to run. Now, just simple walking, perhaps they could carry that. But when it was time to run with gusto, when it was time to really get on and make haste, those things would slow them down or trip them up. And so what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is remove those things. You don't have time for them anymore. The race is too important. You've got to keep your focus. Don't allow distractions or hindrances. And these weights, notice this, weights can be good things, but they're not God things. They are not what God has called you to do in this moment. They are not what you need to be spending your hours of every day doing. Just an example from my own life. When I began writing and working in ministry many years ago, there were many directions that I could go. I could have written about a, a variety of topics. I could have written about pro-life issues. I could have written about accounting or tax issues from my professional career. I could have written about many things. I could teach about many things and have taught in the tax professional industry at times. But the Lord was dealing with me that I don't have time for those things anymore. I got to focus. And I remember when I went through ministry school, one of the things that that helped me do was focus. God used that. You focus on what I've called you to do. God has put many others in various ministries, but he's called me to teach the word. He's called me to delve into the word of God and to be able to do study and then bring forth what I've learned from the word to those like you that are listening to me. That's my ministry. That's my calling. It's all about discipleship. And that does not take away from any of the other types of ministry. God has all kinds of people doing all kinds of things in his service. Praise be to God. But my ministry, I had to focus on. And so all those other things that were good things, I could not spend my time doing because they were becoming hindrances and distractions to me. They were weights that I had to cast off. The Lord is telling us here through the author of Hebrews that we've got to cast off every weight, everything that is not from God for us, even if it's a good thing. If it's not what God has called us to do and not what God is telling us to spend our time doing, then it, it's a weight and we need to get rid of that because it can be a hindrance and a distraction to slow us down, to waste our time, or to steal us away.
And notice also, he says, not only cast off and lay aside every weight, but also the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, we're to cast away every sin. That's not saying that we can have some sins. But what it is saying is that there are sins that compete for our attention, compete for our time, compete for our love, compete for our affection, or compete for our devotion. Those things that that become a competitor to the one thing God has called us to do, those things that we could easily fall back into and waste our time with, those things that we could miss the mark and fall into wrong paths because of those sins. It's talking about those things that will easily draw us off the path and lead us astray. For instance, if someone had a particular sinful past that included drunkenness or something along those lines, then drinking, whether it's commercials or a friend that's talking about it or a co-worker that's going out to some bar after work or whatever, those things can become competitors for that Christian's attention, time, or affection. And so it can easily draw them away. Now, if there's another Christian, let's say this was in an office situation and somebody was going and they were going to drink or whatever. If another Christian there never had a problem with drinking, then that particular sin may not be a competitor. That person's not going with them anyway. So it's not a competitor. That's what he's talking about. Is the sin that so easily ensnares us is talking about that kind of sin. It is still sin. It is wrong. But it is a sin that would become more of a competitor or a temptation to you to get you off your path, to draw you and lead you astray. And so what the author of Hebrews says here is cast it away, lay it aside, throw it off. And you can do that. You can leave it behind. You can break free of that thing by the power of God. Jesus saved you, washed you away if you are his child, and you can leave that thing behind. Because in John chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible tells us Jesus himself said these words, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You can leave it behind, and you never have to touch it again. Does that mean it'll never be a temptation for you? Oh, no, that's not what we're saying. It could still be somewhat of a temptation for you. But God can give you victory, and you can break free of it. You can leave it behind, and you don't ever have to go back to it again. So the author of Hebrews tells us, lay aside every weight, everything that would hinder or distract you, and every sin that would so easily ensnare us. And then he says, and run, run, like runners in a race course. Paul knew this metaphor well also and used it. Whether he's the author of the book of Hebrews, we do not know. But Paul also used this same metaphor about runners in a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he spoke about running his own race and having finished it. So when he's telling us to run, he says to make haste, strive hard and fast. I did a, another message 
recently on the Remnant Believers. It was the final in that particular series, Encouraging Words for the Remnant Believer. And I talked about the finish line in sight. And I have a friend who runs. She runs marathons and major, you know, big races locally and regionally and so forth. And I asked her, I said, when a runner is running, I know that the, the longer they're running, the harder, the harder it is for them, the hotter they are, the tireder they are, they're sweaty, etc. But what happens to them when they see the finish line in sight? And this is what she told me. They run harder and faster. They realize then that they're almost finished and the race will be worth it when they cross the finish line. And so they run harder and faster. They do not give up. This is what Hebrews is telling us here. Run, give your all to the race that you're on. Give it all the gusto you can muster and run. And run with endurance. A runner in a race the closer they get to the finish line, the tireder they will be and the sweatier they will be. They'll get tired. They'll get sweaty. They'll want to give up. But if he cares about finishing, he will not give up or she will not give up. She will plow through. Even with hardship, pain, and weariness, they'll keep on going and they'll keep undergoing, persevering. In the Greek, it's interesting because this signifies extreme peril or hardship that requires putting all of one's effort into it to complete or accomplish it, to spend one's strength to perform or attain this thing. So we're to run and give it all the gusto we can muster all the way through to the finish line and not give up. And yes, that's hard. Runners will tell you that's hard. But beloved friend, we've got to realize the finish line is in sight soon. And we've got to make the most of every moment we have left because we're on this race. Notice also that the author of Hebrews tells us it's an individual race. Now, every one of us as Christians bear some of the same elements of this race. In other words, all of us are pursuing Jesus. All of us are seeking to share and bring forth the gospel. All of us are seeking to do what he would have us to do in obedience and in a life of service to him and surrender to him. We're all doing that. But notice this, it's running the race that's set before us. Individualized paths also for each Christian. One of the core scriptures for my ministry is found in 3 John chapter 1. It only has the one chapter, so it's 3 John chapter 1, verse 6. And it speaks of, if we send people forward on their own journey in a manner worthy of God, we will do well. That's one of the cores of our ministry here at Covenant Truth Ministries. We long to send you forward on your own journey with the Lord in a manner that is worthy of God. And so it's an individualized path that each Christian has laid out before him. Together, corporately, we encourage one another along the way. 
but each person will run his own race. The specific one that God has set before us. This word is talking about being laid out, stretched before us, or placed before us, lying before our eyes, in sight. In other words, it's talking about what God has destined or appointed for us. It's important that we understand God's specific destiny for us. Even in children, this can become evident if you're watching for it. It's interesting because there are some in my family that I can see, even as children, what God has ordained for them and what they're loving to do. One of the things that I always told people when you're trying to understand, well, what is it that I'm supposed to do in the kingdom of God? What is my calling? How do I figure it out? Now, there are plenty of other ministries that have devoted themselves to helping you do that, and there are plenty of resources, Christian resources available that can help you along that path. But one thing I will give you to think about, this is one thing that I've told many people, and this is not good grammar, so you don't have to come, you don't have to write me and tell me the grammar stinks. This is not good grammar, it's not good English. But what is it that you cannot not do? What is that thing? Like for instance, in the scriptures, Jeremiah, he got so discouraged because nobody wanted to hear his messages. Everything was turned against him. He suffered all these problems because he was telling the truth from the Lord to him. And he kind of gets in this pouting mood one time and he says, I ain't going to preach nothing in it because he got discouraged and you know, they fought against him. They didn't want to believe him, etc. And so he finally gave up. He, you know, he, he kind of said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to prophesy. I'm not going to speak your word anymore. But what happened was it was like a fire burning within him and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He could not not do it. That's my point. When it's something that you are called of God to do, it will bubble up inside of you. It will be one of those things that you cannot not do. That's one way to identify, or at least one way to point you in the right direction. So I would encourage you to consider that. And if you have questions about your calling, your destiny, find out, find some of the ministries that can give you spiritual gifts, inventory tests, or other guidance. Ask your pastor, perhaps. Maybe your church offers some type of program or whatever that can help you find that. But every single Christian has a destiny, an appointed ministry, an appointed form of service that God has called us all to do. And whatever it is, we are told to run our race. And we're told how to run. We are to run by focusing on. This word is, it says, looking unto Jesus. The word is talking about considering attentively. It doesn't mean just kind of looking at something half-heartedly. It doesn't mean just to glance. It's talking about to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other object, and turning your eyes, fixing them, turning your eyes and your attention away from everything else, 
and fixing them on Jesus. A fixed focus on him with undivided attention. Because Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who is the chief leader, the one who takes the lead, the one who began our story long ago. He wrote our life and our destiny and set it in motion, writing it in a book. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, verse 16, before we were ever even born, before there was ever a, one day of our life lived, before there was ever one, God has a book and he has written in it his plans, his destiny for us. He wrote our life story. He's our chief leader. He's the one who takes the lead and sets the example for us to follow as we go along. And if you'll remember in the Gospels, Jesus would call the disciples and he told them, follow me. Follow me with your undivided attention, fixing your focus on me and follow my example. Jesus is both the author and the finisher. He is the completer of our faith. He is the one who will bring it to its final perfection and attainment. He does not do a halfway job. If you'll remember in creation, you, he didn't make half of a horse or half of a lion or half of a seal or a porpoise. He doesn't do a halfway job. He finishes the work every time. He sees it through to its end. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that we can have this confidence. We are confident in this very thing, that the one who has begun a good work in us will, in fact, complete it with no stopping and no slack all the way up until the time when Jesus Christ comes again. He will get it done in us, and our job is to follow him, to follow his example. So we see his example and his own testimony. He is the highest hero of the faith, and he is the one who shines as the greatest example from all of those listed in Hebrews chapter 11 and beyond. And Jesus is an example showing us that he endured. He did it because of the joy set before him. Beloved friend, that's you and me. That's people. He didn't do it for money. He didn't do it for fame. He didn't do it for glory. He did it because he wanted you and me to be with him in relationship. He wanted to save us, wash our sins away. He wanted to bring us into a relationship with him. Paul speaks also in Philippians chapter 4 about how people, the, the people he's poured into, the people he's been able to disciple and lead to Jesus and help them grow in Jesus, he calls them his joy and crown. Hebrews is talking about the joy set before him being the people that will believe in him and become part of his, his household, part of his family, part of his bride. I believe that as he was enduring the cross, walking up Golgotha, 
as he was laying down and allowing them to nail his hands and his feet to that cross. And as he was hanging there, he saw our faces. He saw yours and mine. And we were the joy that helped him endure that. We were the joy set before him. And he knew it was worth it. So he endured the cross. He kept going. He didn't give up. Though we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he may have been tempted to do so in his human flesh. Yet he endured the cross, his ultimate suffering. He was despising the shame. Yes, he didn't like it, but he plowed through anyway. And now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The work is completed. It is finished, he said. And he spoke in John chapter 17 of completing the work that his father gave him to do. In other words, he ran his race all the way through the finish line. Paul spoke of that himself in 2 Timothy chapter 4, how his race was now being completed. He had run his race. And so now Jesus has completed the work. He has run his race. He is now sitting down, resting at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. Now living, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, to intercede for us always. Jesus is the highest hero of our faith. He's the greatest example. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And he is able to get us through we do our part by obeying him, walking with him, being in relationship with him, and he supplies what we need to get us through victoriously. So, beloved friend, from these examples and from these testimonies, they show us that we do not give up. We run. We run with all the gusto we can. We run even harder and faster because the finish line is at hand and in sight and our rest is ahead. So we follow Jesus' example and keep the faith and run the race set before us, casting off every weight and every sin that easily besets us so that we are focused undividedly on Jesus and we are running the race he wants us to run. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages and episodes of this study, Lord willing. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.